Amen, amen. All right, so we're going to jump in. Uh, let's start at verse number one of chapter 15. And uh, really, chapter 15 is going to begin to address how we live to bless other people, uh, how, we, how we are filled um, in the Christian life uh, with care and concern for, uh, for the people around us. So verse number one starts out by saying, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, I want us, I want us to just stop right there before we get to number three. You know, if you consider yourself strong, uh, in comparison to your brother or sister in the Christian faith, then you are to use your strength, Paul is saying, to serve your brother or your sister in Christ instead of using your strength just to please yourself. Now, he used specific language when he said bear, bear with. And the idea isn't really uh, bearing with as it is uh, bearing up is what Paul is saying. Bear up the weaker brother, meaning support him uh, with your, and I, I use this term very, very loosely, superior strength. It doesn't mean that you're better, but Paul is saying the one who is weaker, bear him up with the strength that you have. And really that goes, I mean, if we're honest, right, the, the bearing up with the strength that you have to support another individual really goes against the entire tenor of our culture, does it not? Uh, our, our culture counsels people to look out uh, for oneself or to look out for number one and despise those who live any life of real sacrifice for the sake of other people. And so undeniably, Paul is, is saying, um, I'm pointing the way uh, to true fulfillment here in your life by getting your eyes off of yourself and start building up others and then you will find yourself built up because of it. Now, I love the phrase really that Paul uses when he says to let each one of us please our neighbor. Please our neighbor. Is it a simple yet challenging call to simply put our neighbor first in the life of a believer? And I believe Paul really resonated uh, his heart um, when he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing uh, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others above, uh, above yourself. So, so look not out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. So Paul is reiterating this uh, here to the church at Rome. Now, this does not mean, though, that the church is ruled by the whims of the weak. Not at all. In fact, um, it, it is a genuine concern for the weak. Um, we, we must attempt to make them strong by leading them away from irrational scruples. Uh, we, we are to attempt to bring them along so that they grow in their relationship with Christ so that they too can be quote-unquote strong in which Paul talked about right at the very beginning. Now, Paul wants the Christian to know that we are not to be man-pleasers. Uh, we are to please God, and in pleasing God, we want others to come along and grow in their relationship uh, with the Lord. And so such a person, right, the, there, there may be a person who wants to please his neighbor, but not for his neighbor's good. And all too often, Christians find it easier to tear each other down instead of building each other up. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, Christians find it easier to tear each other down. You know, 
I don't, I don't know about you and your studies of the Bible, but I have found multiple times in Scripture that it's the classic strategy of Satan against the church is for Christians to tear down other Christians. The, the strategy of division and disunity in the church. And as Christians, we must resist that type of mentality. We must resist the mentality that says, look out for my own interests and leave the others by the wayside. And so, look at the example in verse number 3 that Paul gives to us. He says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture, that we might have hope. You know, Jesus was the ultimate example of the one who did not please himself, but put other people first. And so Paul's classic development of that very thing goes right back to Philippians chapter 2 and has the idea that Jesus took abuse and suffered wrong for God's glory and he fulfilled what was written in God's word. And so Jesus showed us the example that for the most part we are entirely too quick to vindicate ourselves instead of letting God vindicate us in our suffering. And so Jesus says, the, the Father is, is well able to vindicate you. Uh, the Father is well able to supply your need. The Father is well able to, to guide you in the direction that he wants you to go. And I, I love the fact that the commandment that Jesus fulfilled in Scripture uh, before the end of his life comes directly out of the Old Testament and it applies to each and every one of us as well, right? In, in Psalm 69, verse 7, right, Paul is, is just taking from what he knew from the Old Testament and bringing it into the New Testament when he said it was written for our learning or the things that were already spoken so that we would have hope. I mean, know um, that when we do right, even if there's difficulty in doing right, we can still find hope even in the midst of that difficulty. So let me ask you uh, this question, and hopefully, hopefully this resonates with us. Is there anyone in here um, who, and I'm, I'm talking on a strictly spiritual, spiritual basis. Is there anyone in here um, that, that was convicted uh, to do something or to take a stand in some way in regards to Scripture, and it brought about great difficulty in your life because you took the stand that you did, but yet through that you were never discouraged because you constantly remained uh, or found hope in Christ in that situation. Yeah, go ahead. And then we'll come over here to Jim. Um, years ago, um, I don't know where you go, Sure. 
right? Jim. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that, both of you. I appreciate that. You know, how, how we respond as a Christian, uh, when we respond rightly to the reproaches that the world casts upon the believer against us for Jesus' sake, it bothers really the, the world even more. It makes the world know that there is not anything that they have against us if we keep our eyes focused on Christ. Yeah. I had the opportunity. Confederate soldier claimed to be Christian. Sure. Yeah. There, there is a. You know, there, there is a um, a moment in in this life, especially for you know those that were in. Jim's situation, um, you know, kill or be killed uh, was the situation. And um, I know you, the three of us, have, have sat down and had a, a wonderful conversation. And, um, you know, I just want to reiterate to you what I said to you then, but really for, for all of us, maybe not in that same exact situation. Um, it is, a, it is a good thing that we still live in the dispensation of grace in this, in this life. Well, we, we have a time period of, of grace and where the Lord is not only still uh, meeting the physical needs of the individual, but still pouring out grace uh, to meet the spiritual needs of us. And we can still receive and walk in that forgiveness uh, that he offers to us. And that's the beauty of God, uh, that even in the midst of, of us maybe not doing things the way that we should or are doing what we know is, is, is right, there's still an opportunity to, um, to repent and, and follow in the footsteps. Amen? Amen. Go ahead. That's good. What are you going to say? Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. Thanks. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Was that a kill or be killed moment? Is that? Oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure that we had...
Sure, sure. Well, I think that's a, the prime example of what, you, what we see now in the next two verses here is the, the prayer really that Paul begins to pray that would be fulfilled in the mind and the attitude of the Christian. Look at verse number five. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful prayer, and in fact, we see here in Scripture that Paul put these words into prayer form, recognizing that this is the work that the Holy Spirit must do in the individual themselves. Our God um, is a God of patience. Would you agree with that? Um, He's a long-suffering God, and we are often in such a hurry, and God often seems to work too slowly for us. Often the purposes of God seem to be delayed uh, and they don't always seem that they're going to be fulfilled. But God's, I don't know um, when it was, um, but this really rings true for me in my life in many different seasons. But God's delays in our life are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials in our lives. In fact, he has a loving purpose for every single delay that does occur inside of our lives. And the goal, Paul said, is to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we accomplish that goal by having one mind and one mouth, by unity in our thinking and in our speech as a church and as Christians. And so look at verse number 7 to see what Paul then begins to walk into. He says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to be circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to be confirm, uh, or sorry, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with the people. And again, verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So instead of letting these issues about disputable things, especially like we saw back in chapter 14, divide Christians, we should receive one another just as Christ receives each one of us when we come to him in submission, in terms of what I would maybe call pure grace, uh, knowing um, and yet bearing with our own faults, knowing that each one of us uh, has faults in different ways. And you know, one of the, the beautiful things about Paul being uh, a Pharisee prior to his conversion and having to memorize all 603 Jewish laws and reading the Old Testament texts, Paul often quotes series of passages from the Old Testament. 
things that he would have had to memorize or that he would have read as a, as a child being Jewish himself. And he demonstrates oftentimes that God intended the Gentiles to praise God alongside of the Jews. Instead of dividing over disputable matters, the Jews and the Gentiles were to unite in Christ because that was their common ground. That was the place where they were both headed or at least looking at and so the, the prayer and the blessing concluding this section is, is appropriate. If you think about it in, in the text, that as God fills us with the blessings of his joy and peace and believing, we're equipped to live lives of common bond and unity as we look at Christ. But even in that, Paul still has this burden uh, for the people and for ministry. So look at verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some point I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service uh, of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul didn't write because he felt that the Roman Christians couldn't discern what was right before God or admonish each other to do what was right. He, he wrote to remind them. He wrote to encourage them what they already knew to do that was right. And that's pretty consistent with, with all of Paul's writings. Uh, I, I'm writing to remind you of these things. Uh, and, and really... It's, it's, it's consistent throughout his writings that Paul is often referred to um, by, uh, by his writer. Um, and I'm, I'm going to hopefully address this in the next chapter. Um, Paul had, a, and I use this term very loosely, a secretary. Uh, Paul had an individual who was penning his words um, as he was speaking them and or asking him to write. Um, and so Paul is often referred to by his secretary uh, as a minister of Jesus Christ um, to the Gentiles. And so, in fo- I'm sorry? Uh, sure, I, I, that would be a better use. I just like the word secretary. Um, <laughs> I just like to use it, um, especially in this sentence, setting, because they, they would not have been like our modern day secretary so it's just it's fun (laughs) but thanks (laughs) scribe he was the scribe Um, and we're going to see him in chapter 16 Uh, his name is mentioned Uh, but Paul said that the offering of the Gentiles he wanted the offering of the Gentiles to be acceptable to God so when the Gentiles live glorifying their glorifying God with their lives, their offering is acceptable, meaning that it was sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that the necessity of such a sacrifice makes Paul's writings necessary to the people. Um, if, if we look specifically at verse 16 here, and I just want to reread this, it says, "...to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offerings of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit." This right here is filled with language of the priesthood from the Old Testament. And Paul is saying he serves as a ministering priest of Jesus Christ. And he's presenting the gospel, which is his priestly service. So Gentile converts are able to bring about an acceptable sacrifice to God. 
And so he's like, here, I want you to see the actions of the priesthood from the Old Testament and how that's still a, a, a part of the New Testament. Now, look at verse 17. He says, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by this power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to um, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now stop right there for just a moment. You know, as he considers his call to be a minister of Jesus Christ, Paul can glory in God that he received such a call, speaking only of the things that God did through him to bring salvation uh, to the Gentile people. And so God used mighty signs and he used wonders in the broader term power of the Holy Spirit to help Paul fully preach the gospel of Christ. And so we sense almost that Paul would consider uh, bare preaching without the active and sometimes miraculous works of the Holy Spirit evident to be less than fully preaching the gospel. He's essentially reiterating the fact that he believes uh, and is witness to and a bearer of truth that the uh, what we would maybe call sign gifts are still active and present is what Paul is saying. And so he effortlessly weaves references here uh, not only to the, the gifts that come through the Holy Spirit, but really of the Trinity, um, of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, he's a minister of, of, of the gospel through Jesus Christ, and yet he wants the power to come through the Holy Spirit so that God the Father is glorified. And he's bringing about all three pieces on purpose to reiterate to the the people uh, at the church at Rome uh, that we in our, our Christian um, and I, again, use this term loosely, religion, uh, follow and believe um, in the Trinity. Three, yet uh, one. And while I'm right here, I just want to stop and I want to address, address the Trinity for just a moment. There, um, there is a belief currently that is being taught in the American church um, in some denominations uh, of, of a belief that, I, that would be stated as modelism, M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M, modelism. Modelism is the belief um, that really tries to and attempts to do away with the Trinity itself. Uh, they believe that uh, there are three pieces, but they, also, they, they believe and teach that those three pieces cannot be individual at the same exact time. Meaning that the Holy Spirit cannot be present when Jesus Christ is present. Meaning that God the Father can't be present when the Holy Spirit is present. They have to take the three separate parts and they, they attempt to look at the Word of God. And they say, well in the Old Testament, they speak mostly of God the Father. There are a few moments when the Holy Spirit does come upon certain individuals in the Old Testament and are used, and it's spoken very clearly, but that the Holy Spirit was not able to come until after Christ was lived here upon this earth, died, ascended to heaven before the Holy Spirit would come. So they would take portions of Scripture and they would negate the rest of Scripture that speaks clearly to the Trinity. And so the reason why I'm sharing this with you is there are some, there are some preachers that are very well known today 
with very large churches um, that teach modelism, uh, that teach that very thing. Um, and just to use great caution um, in our reading and our listening of uh, specific pastors that would attempt to get you to believe something other than what the Word of God teaches. Good? Okay. I can. Stephen Furtick is one of the biggest, and so is T.D. Jakes. Um, T.D. Jakes is the mentor of Stephen Furtick, who is the pastor of Elevation Church uh, in North Carolina. Uh, they're the two biggest proponents right now, currently, um, and there are a few others that are interconnected uh, with them as well. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She said, subtle as a serpent. Subtle. Yeah, right. Right. Paul, Paul oftentimes in his writing can't talk about God without recognizing the three persons of the Trinity. Uh, all throughout his writings, uh, they are present. Um, I mean, if we go back all the way to the book of Genesis, the very first picture of the Trinity is when when through Moses, the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to write in the book of Genesis, let us make man in our image. Uh, God having uh, the very first um, spiritual and ministerial meeting in heaven amongst the, the Godhead uh, in how to uh, imprint man uh, with themselves as a part of their creation. So anyways, that's, that's neither here nor there, but just wanted to throw that out there to us uh, so that we can recognize uh, those things. So look with me at verse 20. Any questions before we move on? Okay. Um, verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey uh, there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, Paul did not want to, quote-unquote, build on another man's foundation. Rather, he wanted to do pioneer work for uh, the Lord, not because it was wrong or bad to continue a work that was already begun through another man, but because there was so much to do on what I would maybe say as new frontiers. There were so many people in Paul's day that had never even heard the gospel, never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so he said, why should I go where another man is already working and speaking truth when I should, I should step over here into a place where no one's ever even heard the name of Jesus Christ? And so Paul saw his pioneering work for Jesus Christ as obedience to the scripture, meaning that he was just fulfilling the Great Commission. Though he was not present when the Lord gave the Great Commission in, in Matthew chapter 28 and then reiterated it, uh, reiterated it in, in Acts chapter 1, 
He still is saying, um, I'm going to be obedient to the scriptures and preach the gospel to all nations. Go as far as I can. Now, Paul had this desire uh, to do this pioneering work, but if you know anything about the life of Paul, he was often hindered from doing that. Um, I was, excuse me, I was actually talking to um, a group of guys last night about Paul and his life, and Paul was shipwrecked multiple times. He was in prison for, I would say, more than half or three quarters of the letters that we see here in the New Testament were written by Paul, and most of them were written from a prison cell. Um, in some way, they were written from a prison cell. And so Paul... Yeah. You'll actually... I'll cover that in chapter 16. Yeah, yeah, right? He desired to actually see the church and to meet with the church at Rome, but he was never able to make it there. And so Paul uh, wanted um, this future trip to come as he was headed to Spain because he wanted to be able to preach the gospel. And, but stopping off in Rome along the way, he anticipated that he would enjoy fellowship uh, and really community with the believers there before he went to preach the gospel beyond that region. And um, really, he, he wanted to operate out of the western part of the empire, and, and Paul had these plans, and yet none of them worked out according to the way that he wanted to. Anybody ever have that happen? You have all these plans set, and then nothing happens right along the way. Um, you know, he did go to Rome before the end of his life. Um, he was actually taken there um, as a prisoner, um, by the politicians, and, and it, was, it was not even on his missionary journey towards Spain. He, he went to stand trial um, in front of Nero, um, and he would end up preaching the gospel on a different kind of frontier uh, before he was murdered uh, for the gospel's sake. And so God had unexpected frontiers for the gospel in Paul's life, and he gave him unexpected access to preach to the very emperor himself before his death. You know, we're going to actually see in the next chapter um, a number of the individuals that Paul specifically names were members of either the court, the council, or the household of Nero himself, who was in that time one of the worst, um, essentially, dictators of that time and mass murderer of Christians. And so look now um, as we begin to kind of close out chapter 15, we'll pick up in verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if, they, for, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in the material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and I have delivered to them what has been collected... I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You know, Paul thought that he would stop in Corinth on his way to Jerusalem to deliver a collection 
uh, from Christians to Macedonia and Acacia. But Paul's observation was appropriate. Uh, The Gentile Christians of the broader Roman Empire had received so much spiritually from the community of of Jewish Christians, it was only right that they help the Christian church in their own need uh, without him doing it for them. And so Paul would indeed head for Rome after his time in Jerusalem, but not the way that he had planned. I mean, in a sense, um, he, he was sensing that danger would await for him if he even went to Jerusalem to begin with. And, I mean, if we go back and read Luke's account in the book of Acts, we know that Paul was warned several times uh, that if he came back, that he would either be beaten again, that he would be imprisoned again, or that he would be killed. And so, um, I mean, Paul continued to preach the gospel Uh, But God just took him in a different direction. And and the idea here is that Paul wants the Romans to partner with him in ministry. And he's he's saying, I want you to do so through prayer. I want you to partner with me through through prayer. I love that um, the NET, um, the New English Translation of the Bible, which is a a more um, modern or a newer version of the Bible, says uh, Paul wants them to be allies in the fight is the translation that they use, uh, the English phrase. Uh, The NLT, the New Living Translation, uses the phrase, I want you to join me in my struggle by praying to God. Uh, These two phrases I, I love because Paul is urging us to strive together Um, in prayer. And to be honest with you, church, I will just make this blanket statement. Um, Ministers of the gospel need the prayers of their flock. Uh, Ministers of the gospel need the prayers uh, of their flock. And and with Paul, um, I just want to urge you as individuals um, to strive in your prayers for your pastor to strive in your prayers for your pastor. And I, and I, um, and I don't mean that in a selfish way um, to you at all. Um, there, are things, there are things in, um, in ministry and in our lives uh, that we often uh, never talk about with anybody um, ever. Um, things that occur that uh, can cause much stress, uh, much, much heartache, um, many sleepless nights, uh, because of the ache uh, for our people and for the lost uh, here in our community. We need your prayers, um, and we thank, we thank God uh, for them. Uh, there are people in this room um, that um, I would say on a pretty consistent or regular basis in some way let me know we're praying for you. Um, and so I just want you to know um, I thank you. Um, you don't have to come and tell me every time you're praying for me, but I thank you for your prayers. Um, and so does my wife. I mean, in fact, I, I, would, I would often, um, if I could, urge you uh, to strive in your prayers also for my wife. Um, my wife is often the behind the scenes um, and oftentimes forgotten uh, member of my, uh, I would say, our ministry. And um, she's like the mom. Um, she's the mother. Um, and she does it well, uh, and I thank God for her every day. So, yeah, go ahead. In my uh, journey of sobriety, um, I come to the chair that each time I put my head on the pillow sober is an unspoken prayer. No, not prayer. Gesture of 
That's good. You know, pastors um, are sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit through the support of their congregations. And um, I, I love the fact that Paul used this specific word, strive, strive with me, um, or strive together in prayer. And, and that phrase, strive together, comes from the Greek word meaning to agonize, to agonize together. Um, is the only place in the entire New Testament that this specific wording is found um, here. And, and it's the same root word uh, of the word agony that is used of Jesus' anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked his disciples to agonize with him in prayer, when he was sweating droplets of blood before he was to be beaten and then crucified and they failed at the critical moment and left Jesus to agonize alone and we must not leave our ministers and our ministry leaders to struggle alone Uh, we must agonize with them we must strive uh, with them and Paul knew that the danger that would wait for him would come from those who did not believe and so there's this case uh, that we see where you know we we must um as saints, uh, pray for um, and strive together with prayers for, you know, for our pastors, for, um, and I'm not just talking about me, but the others in this community. Uh, there are so, so many churches that are hurting and so many pastors that are walking through just unfathomable things um, at different times. And our, our prayers um, really um, should be uh, focused upon at different times, focused upon uh, lifting up, um, lifting up those those different names. And if you're in here and you're like, "Hey, I, I want to pray more uh, for the pastors here in our community," you can you can touch base with Kim. Um, she, I believe, has a list of all of the pastors here in the area, um, and so I I as well. Um, but you can I can direct you if you're okay with that, Kim. If anyone wants to, you just you can go right over to to Kim and she can get that for you. Um, so any questions before we dive into to chapter 6? It's only 7.13, so I'm going to hopefully walk us through this and uh, we're going to teach, um, we're going to teach you guys a bunch of really cool names from the New Testament. Um, actually, not, not really. I Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, right? Hold on. I'm just going to get out my... You know, I had a, a version of the Bible that was purchased for me on CD probably 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and so, I'm, like, I'm a huge, huge Star Wars fan. Like, huge Star Wars fan. And someone bought me a version of the Bible uh, that was spoken by James Earl Jones. Um, Mufasa, for those of you who do not know, it was Mufasa talking to me through the Bible. It was amazing. Um, and, yeah, it was just pretty cool. Anyways, uh, <laughs> chapter, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. Yes, he is, um, he's a wonderful, wonderful voice actor for sure. Um, So chapter 16, chapter 16, Um, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea, 
uh, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of mine um, and of myself as well. Now, Paul certainly knew the value of women uh, in ministry and what they could do in serving in different capacities of the church. And Paul is sending like this advanced recommendation to the church at Rome ahead of time for this sister in Christ so that they will receive her, but they will also support her. And so the recommendation, I want to just make this note, recommendations like this that you see in scripture where a writer will specifically name somebody else is important because it brought about... um, It brought about making that person legitimate and showing that they had a need of some kind of assistance. But there, if you think back to the New Testament, there were a lot of people who who were what I would call deceivers in the New Testament day. And so this brought about um, a legitimacy to the individual by the apostles or the gospel writers to say, hey, they're not a deceiver. They're not going to try to take advantage of of the generosity of the Christians. Uh, They truly are doing the work of the Lord. Now, I want to just note this to you. Uh, Phoebe, Phoebe here is is the name in feminine form of the title that was given to the pagan god Apollo. Um, This was her name, and it, it was based upon paganism, and the title meant the bright one. And so Christians, oftentimes in the New Testament, we see their names were in some way um, significant to paganism, and they did not uh, feel a need to change their name. Now, I want us to also point out something here. Um, That word servant, when spoken about of Phoebe, a servant, is the same word that is translated as deacon, in the Bible, in another place. So in Acts specifically, I believe it's Acts chapter 5, 4, four 5, and 6, somewhere right in there. And Phoebe is a female deacon in the church, either by formal recognition or through her work, or her general service. And so Paul is giving her one of the best compliments than anybody can give. And this sort of practical help is essential in doing the business of the gospel. Now look at verse number three, because we see two more individuals. Um, Greet uh, Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentile give thanks as well. Um, Greet also the church in their house the church in their house. So Priscilla and Aquila um, are a couple that is mentioned multiple times in the book of Acts and again here in Romans as they are associates of Paul, but also one of Paul's companions, Apollos, as we see in the New Testament. And he's saying, hey, don't forget about or greet these individuals as they make their way through the Roman church, but also the church or the Christians that they, st- they had in their home church or their their house church. And the phrase here gives us a clue uh, to the organization really of the early church. You know, in a, in a city where a Christian community of any size was, there were several congregations um, uh, that would meet in different houses. And in each house, um, there was probably their own pastor or their pastor family. And this was uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, there were no real church buildings like we have right now uh, when the early church was just starting. And so um, if you would look with me um, 
now at the rest of verse number five, and we begin to see like various greetings of all these different names. So I'm going to try to read through this as quickly as possible without butchering, uh, butchering these names. So, um, greet my beloved Epignetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Uh, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They were well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Um, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord Jesus. Greet, Ur- uh, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved um, Stachius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Now, some of, some of these uh, in other versions um, have a different spelling of um, the names, just so you know. So I may, I may call them by their Hebrew or Greek name at a later time as I begin to tell you a little bit about these individuals. Just so you know. Greet those who belong to the family of uh, Aristobulus. Now, I want you guys to note something. He said, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those who work in the Lord for Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Um, greet Asyncritus, Philagon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerissa, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Whew! We, we made it through. So, Eponidas was a man who was noted specifically because he was among the first converts of Asia, or in some versions of the Bible it says Acacia. um, This is where Corinth was and where Paul was at when he wrote the letter to the Romans. Um, Epipnetus was a dear friend to Paul, and and we know this because he used the specific term beloved. It was a term that Paul did not take lightly. It was one that he considered a deepest friend. Now, the next individuals, Andronicus and uh, Junia, were Jews, and they were prisoners with Paul for the sake of the gospel, meaning they were imprisoned because they were sharing Christ with another individual. They were well regarded among the apostles, and they had become Christians really even before Paul had converted to Christianity, um, sometime in the third or fourth year following the Pentecost. So this was prior to the stoning of Stephen, where these men were already converted to Christianity. And if there were ever women, sorry, if there were these were women, I apologize. If there were ever women recognized as apostles in the sense of being special emissaries for God, um, in the sense of not the 12 uh, original disciples, uh, but this is the strongest scriptural evidence of women being labeled as among the apostles. Now, Amplius was the next one. Um, If you Um, ever have an opportunity to visit the Christian catacombs in Rome, there is a tomb that bears the name Amplius. It is this individual here that Paul spoke about. Um, The tomb is still visible and able to be visited to this day. Now, I asked you to note, it said to greet the family of Aristobulus. Now, the fact that the household of Aristobulus is greeted, but not Aristobulus himself, tells us uh, and lends many theologians to believe that Aristobulus was not a convert 
but his family was. He didn't want anything to do with Christ. And, and I was thinking about this. How often do we think of the unconverted who live amongst the believers in their own homes? I mean, I, my, my wife and I were discussing this just in our family, uh, like our extended family. How many people do we have that live in, and I use the biblical term, unequally yoked homes, where one is a believer and one is not, uh, or they believe of a different religion? And uh, it's, it, it's really the same thing. The household of Aristobulus had people who believed and he did not. It's the same, same thing that we see in our culture. Now, Rufus is, is the same man that is mentioned as the son of Simon of Cyrene um, in Mark chapter 15. It's, yeah, go ahead. Yes. It would, be, it would be the eastern parts of. So you're talking like India and Indonesia and Malaysia. Uh, that would have been Acacia or Asia, at that, Asia Minor at that time. Yep. Now, Rufus, uh, it says that he was chosen of the, the Lord. And it has some idea that Rufus had some eminence amongst the Christians in Rome. Um, it doesn't refer to his... Um, his salvation in Christ, but that, that he was chosen in the Lord, meaning that he was well known amongst the Christians. Now, Nereus is actually pretty uh, an interesting story. Historically uh, spoken about, in the year AD 95, there were two distinguished Roman politicians that were condemned for being Christians. The husband was executed, and the wife was banished, and the name of their chief servant was Nereus. It was this individual right here uh, that, according to historical documents outside of the Bible, actually led those two individuals to the Lord um, and was saved. He was not put to death by Nero. He was able to escape. But then there were four individuals, or really five individuals that were spoken. And of the rest of those names, Paul finds something wonderful to say about every single one of the people that he encountered. They were beloved. They were approved of Christ. They were in the Lord. They were chosen of the Lord. And really, it's a tremendous example that we see. And it shows that Paul has this beautiful way of casting about uplifting words to build up Christ's own people. And he was generous in paying compliments uh, that were not only sincere, but they were wonderful when they were spoken to the individuals. But yet he says, uh, he says to them, greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now that might sound strange um, to us, maybe in our culture, maybe post-COVID um, epidemic or pandemic, right? That might sound strange. Greet each other uh, with a holy kiss. But if we go back to Luke chapter 7, it, it was common uh, to greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. That men, men, women, man to woman, like it was a very common practice in that day and age. In fact, Jesus even rebukes the Pharisee uh, that does not kiss him on the cheek when Jesus enters his home. Now, we know from church history that that practice was later abused um, and people were taken advantage of in that scenario. But really, this, this section of 
Paul's letter demonstrates to us that this, this was a real letter to real people. And as far as we can see, they were really ordinary people that he was writing to. No one here were professional uh, theologians. They had, they had no schooling um, like he would have had. But I want us to notice something in the text. Uh, look at all the names of the women that were mentioned in this chapter alone. Phoebe, Priscilla, Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, you would not believe it, but Rufus was a woman, and Julia, a woman. These women were the ones who worked for the Lord, and, and if we notice, it says that they labored for the Lord, or they labored much for the Lord, or they worked much uh, for the Lord. They're interesting enough, there are 24 names that are listed here, and 13 of those names appear in inscriptions and documents that are connected to the palace of Nero. Thirteen individuals in some way worked for uh, or a part of the council of, of the murderer of Christians in that day. They worked for him. They were known amongst uh, Caesar's household. Now, I want us to look, though, as we begin to close out this chapter in these last few verses, because there is a word of warning that's regarding dividers and deceivers here as he closes out. He says in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I may rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil." The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, this has in mind both those who divide God's people, meaning those who cause division in the church, but also those who would deceive God's people. So um, those who would purposefully um, offend, meaning that they would bring about things that are contrary uh, to the doctrine of Scripture, or things that would be false doctrines, i.e. what I was speaking to earlier, modelism. That would be a false doctrine, something that speaks against the holiness and the sovereignty of God. Now, once these have been noted, or once Paul says they have been marked, they should be avoided, is what Paul is saying. Now, this is essential, really, to God's purpose for the church, because truth without unity, church, and I don't want you to miss this, truth without unity leads to pridefulness, and unity without truth leads it to a departure of truth itself. I'm going to say it one more time. Unity, sorry, truth without unity leads to pridefulness. But unity without truth leads to a departure of what is true. It leads you away from what is true. And so each of, of, of us must be guarded against these things. And really the, the tone here suggests how important it was uh, to Paul. It was... Charles Spurgeon, who said that mad dogs are shot and infectious diseases are quarantined, but evil teachers who would seek to divide and bring destruction and draw the saints away to teaching contrary to the teachings of Christ are always tolerated. And so he's saying, he's saying that the rabid dog would be put down and the one with infectious diseases would be locked away, but yet the one who brings evil and destruction against Christianity is always tolerated by the people. He, he's, he's warning, and really in my opinion, the warning is necessary, especially in this day and age. 
Uh, there are so many, so many false doctrines that are uh, really just running rampant in our culture. And he's saying, church, just, just look out for the dividers. Watch out for the deceivers because they're not going to announce themselves. Like a pastor or an author or a theologian is not going to step out on the platform and be like, I'm here to deceive you. Hope you still follow along. No, Paul said that they will come with their smooth words and their flattering speech and they will always target, and this is very, very, very important, he'll target the simple. They'll target the simple. And, and unfortunately, the simple is the one who is ignorant of the deep spiritual things of the Bible. Meaning the, the one um, who has never grown deeper in their relationship with the Lord. It's, it's still basic. It's still surface level. Those are the ones who are easily deceived. And he says that they will deceive the heart of the one who is simple. Uh, the heart of the one. You know, there is a, a song I think we sang here early on when I, when I took over. And it's the song, it's called Show Us Christ. Um, and it's by a, a church group called Sovereign Grace. And the song um, says, uh, plant your word down deep in us and cause it to bear fruit. Um, but in the process, he says, your word makes the simple wise. Your word makes the simple wise. And they go on to say, you know, show us Christ. Um, show us Christ. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go except for the words of eternal life? It's a thought that Paul, that really came out of this scripture, that, you know, we must not wait until everyone is scattered or deceived until we're concerned with the people who deceive and divide us. With dividers and deceivers never want to appear selfish, and, and typically uh, they want to perceive themselves as noble crusaders for the cause, is really what happens. But nevertheless, they may appear on the outside, uh, their motives are usually selfish and very, very fleshly, uh, if you take a step back and compare it to the Word of God. And so Paul says that our, our obedience has to become known by all people. Meaning that the church has to be seen as the ones who follow what is true. That's it. You're obedient to truth, and it must be known by all people. Meaning that when it, when it comes to dividers, when it comes to deceivers, it isn't that that we must always try to attempt to correct the bad situation because we're already dealing with those situations in, in the right way. And Paul is glad about that. But he's saying that we must just remain diligent against the attacks of the divider and the deceiver. We have to just continue to, to persevere in the midst of the attack, meaning that we must be wise in what is good. Be wise in what is good. It's the best defense against the deceiver and the divider. Being wise in what is good. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Sure. Agreed.
Yes. I totally, totally agree. And actually, I'm so I'm glad that you said this because I was gonna I was gonna kind of throw this out there to us um, so that we can kind of speak with our circle of influence before we get to Sunday. So um, I've been telling the the prayer team I think for a few weeks now that I've really been wrestling with what God is wanting me to do in my next sermon series. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to talk about? And um, I had a a pretty lengthy conversation last night around 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, and the conversation didn't end well. Um, it didn't end well, and um, it, I wanted to pick the conversation back up today with that specific individual. And I got up this morning, and, and I'm like, it's Wednesday, and I still don't even know what I'm talking about, what I'm going to preach on on Sunday. I have no clue. And I've been asking God for weeks, what do you want? And I mean, I, I, could, pull, I could pull something uh, that I've, I've written and just never used. And I, I could go another week and, and kind of delay the inevitable. And the conversation picked back up today. And I went over to the individual's house. And, and I began to kind of just pick up where we left off. And through the entire conversation, we lasted another hour of conversation. And ended in a completely different place than it did last night. And I walked away from that conversation, and I, I felt like so nobody, died. nobody died. Thank God. Nobody died. Walked away from that conversation today, and the Lord was like, I was trying to give it to you for the last day and a half, Josh. You weren't seeing it. You weren't seeing it. You weren't seeing it. And I, I stopped for a moment, and I, I'm grateful for what you said, because you, you made the statement that we need the body. We need the body, right? We, we need community and we need fellowship. The early church did fellowship great. The Baptists just took it and added food to it and made it even better, <laughs> right? The, the, early, <laughs> the early church understood what it meant. I mean, in fact, the early church gave up everything and they lived together in a, a communal space. I'm not suggesting that we do that, but um, I need my space. Uh, So the, the Lord, and, and this is what I want you guys to, to share with your circles of influence. I, I want you to make sure um, that the people that you're connected with are here on Sunday. The people that you, t you talk to and you connect with. I'm going to be launching a, a new series um, called How To. Um, and for the next several weeks, and I don't know what God's going to do uh, with, with it, but for the next several weeks, I'm going to talk, I'm going to, talk to our church uh, about how to, um, how do we grow in our relationship with our church body? What, what is even the purpose of the church? What do we do? What do we do? Uh, as Christians, how are we supposed to live and how does that cause and influence the people around us and what happens? And so this Sunday, uh, I mean, we see all throughout Scripture, I don't, I don't um, know if you guys could recognize these, but oftentimes in Scripture we see portions that say, you know, something one another, love one another, bear with one another, be patient with one another. There's all these one another's in Scripture. And you know, I'm like, where, God, you're, you're sitting here and you're saying our, our church is on the cusp of, of being used in such a mighty and miraculous way here uh, in Ionia. And I'm going to talk more, more extensively about this, uh, but the church is to be a preview of what life will be like in eternity with heaven. 
And oftentimes the preview uh, is a great hype and then the movie happens and it's a complete letdown. It's a complete letdown. And, and for us as a church, um, I'm going to talk about those things. We, we, need, we need each other because we need to, to edify one another. And we need each other because we need to admonish one another. And we need each other because we need to love one another. And we need each other because we, we need to bear with one another's burdens. We need to comfort each other. Um, and I'm going to hit a topic that um, is really heavy, right? We need to forgive one another. And I'm going to spend a couple of weeks just talking about forgiveness alone. Um, and so anyways, it, not only will you guys be praying uh, with me, but I want get as many people here uh, that are connected um, already and even those who are not uh, because God, God's got something um, for us in the coming weeks. And so thank you. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate that. You know, um, when I was a child, um, I told my wife I was going to sing you guys a song tonight, um, but I don't know that I'm going to. Uh, but it's about this very portion of Scripture, um, Romans 16, um, 19. Um, tells us that we are to be excellent at what is good and to be innocent of evil. And um, there's a song that we learned when I was a, uh, probably 7th or 8th grade at church camp, and we used to have these motions that we would do, and it was about this very thing. Um, the, the, the church that has a well-deserved reputation uh, uh, in Romans is one who has stayed on guard against the dividers and the deceivers. And when that happens, when, when they are excellent at what is good and when they are innocent of evil, it says that God will crush Satan underneath their feet. And so um, there, the, the song that we used to sing as a kid is something that I will never forget um, and we used to sing that phrase over and over and over again. One that we would take away, and, and it was that. Be excellent at what is good and be innocent of evil. Be excellent at what is good and be innocent of evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan. And where will he crush him but underneath our feet? We used to say this over and over and over again to ourselves when we were children because God, God will do the crushing. And for those of you who went through the Revelation study, uh, just, just, it seems like a short time ago, um, Satan ends up, will quote-unquote end up under the feet of the believers. Uh, when, when you think about what occurs in the end, and, and though that doesn't happen when, until he is cast into the bottomless pit, into uh, the lake uh, of fire and brimstone, um, every victory that God wins for us right now here in this life is a preview of the event that's going to occur at the end. And that really should bring us great, I don't know about you, but it brings me great hope uh, to know that every, every victory we see here is a preview of what uh, will happen really for eternity. Now, a look at these last uh, few verses and these few people. Um, verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, um, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, uh, my kinsmen. I tur uh, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Um, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but um, has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God to be glory forever through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, amen. 
Now, Timothy, man, wasn't that great? A great 16 chapter study. Um, Timothy is rightly uh, rated as, as one of the first mentions here to kind of close out this chapter as being one of Paul's closest and, and most trusted associates. Um, but Tertius was the individual, Rick, um, who was Paul's writer um, and the apostle dictator, um, or the, yeah, the one who dictated the letters of Paul, Tertius. Um, he traveled with Paul. Um, and this was really a normal practice for specifically Paul's writings and all of his letters to the churches. But this is the only letter uh, where his name is specifically mentioned uh, to us. Now, this is really interesting that Gaius here at the end um, is, is another brother with such a reputation for hospitality that Paul says that he regarded him as the host of the whole church. This man is introduced in one other place in the New Testament, and it's 3rd John. John himself comes in and encounters Gaius one last time and speaks about uh, this individual as one who loves God above all things. Um, and it's interesting that not only did he interact with, with Paul, but later he interacts with John before he is exiled, um, and then before we even receive the book of Revelation. And so, as we kind of close out um, chapter 16, you know, the, the conclusion that Paul reflects upon is the wisdom of God's plan in the gospel and in the fact that that wisdom is beyond man, uh, that it comes from God himself, and that God had a plan that no man could have ever come up with, but the wisdom and the glory of that plan is evident all throughout, not just scripture, but even all throughout our lives, evident in our lives. And it's entirely fitting that Paul concludes this letter by praising the God of such a gospel. And so, you know, with that being said, um, I, I guess I would just ask, right? We have, a, we have about 15 minutes left and we don't have to take all of that time. But I have a question, right? I mean, many, if not all of the people in this room have been, I would say, been pretty consistent through uh, this study. And I know that we're missing... I think about 10 or 12 people that were unable to make it tonight for various circumstances. Um, but if, if you were to reflect back um, over this study, I mean, it's been since May, I guess, since we started this study, um, a solid five months um, of going through the book of Romans, what would you say was... Uh, the most encouraging thing to you out of this book? And what was the most challenging aspect of, of this book? Something that you learned that, that really challenged you and something that really uplifted you and encouraged you? <laughs> Whose husband is that? Sure. 